And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 617. Going to recap some more of the MLB hot stove and talk some underdog fantasy. In order to do so, I've got a friend of the show returning to chat about it once again. I had the pleasure to meet this gentleman at First Pitch Arizona. It was a great time there, and there'll be much more to come in the underdog world, of course. But you can find him on the Twitter at Too Much Tuma. Brendan Tuma, how are we doing, my friend? Bubba, thanks so much for having me. It was really great to meet you at First Pitch Arizona, like you mentioned. That was my first time going to that event, and it was a break from the New England weather in the fall and winter. So it was, I bet it, it was a great time. Like, I'm, I'm missing it a lot already. Yeah, no, it, it was a, an absolute blast. Like you said, that was uh, one of the, the beauties of it all. But we get to do it again next year. So that'll be fun. It's a, it's a yearly tradition, unlike any other. But uh, before we get started on all of this, is um, plug your stuff. I know you got the underdog, but you also you have some kind of other projects you're working on. Yeah, so I would say I'm on Twitter, like you mentioned, at Too Much Tuma. And then uh, I have a Substack that's free. It's brennantuma.substack.com. Um, that's kind of just like my playground where I like to write about kind of whatever interests me in the moment sort of thing. And if, you, if you're into that stuff, I have a Patreon as well. Um, all that stuff is linked on Twitter. But um, yeah, that's the main stuff. And then, yeah, always thinking about, you know, underdog and its place in the you know, fantasy world and, and the strategy behind, you know, drafting those teams. So, um, you know, I'm always down to talk about all that stuff as well. Yeah, it's great. And I, I've already been talking to uh, some of your other buddies that you have your, your new Substack with as well that you've been helping out with, or I don't know if you are a part of it, but you're pretty much on all the podcasts and stuff. So I figure you are. But um, yeah, I got some of them scheduled to come on in January to do some more underdog stuff as more data comes out. But um yeah, it's hell cool. yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I always screw it up, but uh, baseball on Twitter is what I call it. Mm -hmm. and, he, uh, I say every time he's got to change his handle because yeah, I, I need something easier, play. man. I need something easier to work <laughs> with. But like, like you brought up some of his graphs at first pitch. Like he tweets out so much cool stuff. Like every time he puts a Google sheet out, I put I save it right away and stuff like that. So he's coming on later on to uh, as he said he'll be comfortable in January with a lot of the stuff ironing out a little bit, and it'll be fun because a lot of the stuff you've done we'll talk about later, but we might be seeing trends maybe kind of mm -hmm. developing it's still so early infancy in the baseball product but it's there but we'll talk about that here in a little bit let's cover the hot stove first and foremost and it, it never fails you know you do a podcast there's always news that drops right after your podcast is over and the tyler glass now dropped the next morning so it wasn't like immediately after but the next morning after the, the most recent show i did so we all knew it was happening just a matter of could they make the deal they made the deal so tyler glass now manny margot head to LA, Ryan Pepio, Johnny DeLuca, head to Tampa Bay. I kind of like the Tampa Bay side of this trade a lot more, but they're both interesting. So let's start with the Dodgers side because that's the more maybe fantasy relevant for now. What's your thoughts on Glass now in LA and, you know, all the innings concerns and everything else we have? For sure. I think from a real-life baseball uh, perspective, and you and I, I think, are similar because you're a Giants fan, I'm a Red Sox fan, you know, these historical franchises, but we're, we're frustrated in the moment with some of the lack of moves in recent years. And one of my Red Sox uh, fan friends was venting to me, oh, so the Dodgers got glass now for free, basically. I don't think he's fully aware about the Pepeo fantasy hype that some people yeah. might be having right now. But um, to me, like, this deal wasn't, oh, the Dodgers going back and forth. Do we give up Pepeo? He's our guy. To me, this trade was the Dodgers won this trade because of the organizational infrastructure and, and depth that they have in just player development. It was the same thing with the Yankee trade. Like why weren't more people 
interested in Juan Soto necessarily. It's because no one else had the the pitching depth to to part with uh to part with those pieces for Juan Soto. And again, same thing with Tyler Glasnow here. So if you're if you're a fan of a team and and that team is not doing everything possible to just continuously replenish the pipeline of of you know pitching depth and prospect depth and all that stuff, then then it's got to be it's a frustrating winner right now because uh you know that's kind of what everyone's after with with Glasnow in LA um cuz ADP was already you know pretty aggressive for for fantasy but this trade i think is going to add a little more shine to him just being on the Dodgers maybe a little bit more wins and all that stuff but he's also going to be in the news cycle more which that alone could could push it maybe even a little bit higher yeah, there was a ton of glass now of like uh, my buddy Curlin thinks he's like should be the he he thinks he'll finish like in the Strider world next year, which is pretty crazy. Like he's the talent wise, he he's proven he can do that. Let's not to get that part wrong. But you know, 120 innings last year, second time in his career, over 100 innings. I just have so many questions about the durability of Tyler Glass now. I don't I don't question the talent at all. I think mm-hmm. the talent is ridiculous, but you're paying a premium on the ADP world. I agree, it's gonna go up, like you're saying. Uh, just because the ELA tax, like you, you basically said, said it all. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I Let's think a about, lot. Of, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to uh, add on glass. Now that I think a lot of the time people look at, um, you know, players like him as a little bit black and white. Like, can you take him at that price? Well, it depends if he stays healthy. I'm trying to think about it more. So you have to pay a premium to get him. How are you going to fill out the rest of your pitching staff with enough, you know, innings and especially good innings in, in case, you know, Glasnow does miss a little bit of time again. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's you know, multi-layered. Like, you can be in on Glasnow. You can make it work. But it might be a little bit of a thinner line to draw. And you might need to add in, you know, your Chris Bassett's and, you know, Merrill Kelly's and Eduardo Rodriguez, some of those boring inning eaters, um, you know, to, to fully pull it off. Yeah, that's 100% true. It's a, it's a roster construction thing. We all talk about... We can take risks in a draft, but it's a lot harder to take a risk with one of your top like three picks because now you're sitting there like usually in your top, you know, X amount of rounds, you, you got some confidence of a floor in place with the ceiling plays coming up and glass now could be the ceiling of all ceilings in the third round. At the same time, you know, no one would be shocked if he somehow ended up on the, the IL with a, another shoulder or elbow issue. Mm-hmm. And it just it's sad, sad to say, but that's kind of where we're at. It's like the whole idea, like, you know, you got to prove it to me now, man. It's been so many times of just the same thing. You got to prove it. So uh, I'm with you on that. I, I personally, I'm always a risk averse guy. People probably get bored by that, but I'll take my chances later in drafts, with like a rookie or somebody else. But there are a lot of guys that are very successful at this fantasy game that will take that chance. And because when it works, it works in a, in a beautiful way. To, the, to me, the more fun side of this trade, and you kind of mentioned like, you know, a lot of people don't understand the fantasy you know upside that people talk about Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca. And uh, this is kind of a fun deal. So let's start with Pepio here is a guy that maybe carried fantasy teams in September last year. You picked him up off the waiver wire. He was tremendous. We, we saw the, the change up all the other goods that he brought to the table. What are your thoughts on Pepio going to Tampa Bay, a team that we already know can mold pitching very, very well? It's it's funny. These two teams, if Pepio was coming from, you know, maybe a, a lesser analytical team like the Nationals or the Royals, whoever, and then they go to the Rays, everyone's like, ooh. But, but Pepio was already on a, a in an organization that we trust them with development. I put together this little graph chart. I don't know what the word is, little chart of Pepio. His past six stops, um, he's been at two levels each of the past three years, so six stops total. And I just uh, posted his walk rate at each level. And in 2023, the walk rate improved tremendously. 
I have not yet, you know, figured out why I haven't read an article. If he, I'm assuming it was some sort of mechanical adjustment or pitch mix change or something, but the rap on him was, you know, it's good stuff. He's on the Dodgers. He he's got the great change up, but he can't command it. And, and that changed this year. And if you look at things like second half K minus walk leaders, like he's right up uh, there with the best of them um, for the second half of 2023. Like you said, he, he helped a lot of teams down the stretch and now he's going to be on the raise. So we, we can, you know, trust him from a skills standpoint, even further. The question is, is he going to start every day? I think we, to answer that, we need to see how the rest of their off season plays out. They have some, other depth guys like Zach Little, who might not be as exciting, but but then there's Shane Boz coming back. There, there's still Taj Bradley around. Um, it's I, I I think you know the the common takeaway might be that we like the skills, we're not sure on the role, and it might be one of those things where in April he's not starting consistently, but by June he is. And if you if you are going to take him, I think you you got to zoom out and and be a little patient with that longer view. Yeah, in uh, draft champions and NPCs, he's over the last month, 12 drafts, ADP of 200. So uh, you're not paying a, a premium premium. He's gone as high as 186. So he didn't get a massive boost uh, when the trade occurred. It's just interesting to see, like, um, he threw about a little less than 70 pitch innings last year, threw about 130 the year before. Uh, so it, it's a combination of, like you said, is when does he go and how many innings does he go? You think the Rays aren't done yet because there's a lot of rumors of other trades they might be making. If if Rosarena goes, you'd imagine a pitcher's probably coming back in that kind of deal, maybe. But uh, there's a lot of things like that because they're projected Eflin, Savali, Little, uh, Pepio, and Baz right now. And you're talking Baz, Pepio, and Little. The innings limits are all probably not great on those three, so they're going to have to do something, as you mentioned. And uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Mm -hmm. Johnny DeLuca. Now this is one that I, you know, I didn't care too much about at first because when he's with the Dodgers, there's just so many outfielders. It's like the Matt Bush syndrome. When is he going to get a chance? Like wh- when's there going to be a world where Johnny DeLuca gets to play? And I, so I don't have in my prospect brain. I don't have time for that. Trade happens, so I start looking into all the smart prospect guys and what they have to say. And there's intrigue here. I'll be honest, very, very intriguing. It's just a matter of will he play in Tampa Bay? So what's your thoughts on Johnny DeLuca right now? It seems like. You know, the Rays do this every so often with, you know, Isak Paredes is on my mind because that's just someone recently who they took on this guy. Everyone's like, okay, he's, you know, either a part-time player or a platoon guy or whatever. And then the Rays make a tweak and and now he's actually fantasy relevant. And it's it's tough because it, it takes you a while to get on to those guys. Like I know I personally wasn't on Isak Paredes because he wasn't a top prospect. So I didn't know about him already. And if you just kind of miss how they're using him and the production he's putting up, then all of a sudden it's too late. You know, everyone knows about him at that point. I want to try to not make that type of mistake anymore. So, so I do have my antenna up with Johnny DeLuca. I still feel like we need to see some sort of, you know, they had a lot of these guys last year, you know, Luke Rayleigh kind of, you know, was doing great part-time role, hailed Ramirez. Um, so, so I, I definitely don't trust that there will be like every day at bats right away sort of thing. I could see him exceeding, um in a part-time role but then but then we'll have to just see kind of where the playing time goes from there and sometimes with the guys on the raise it takes a couple years they kind of have to earn their stripes uh show what they can do in a part-time role get a little bit of expanded opportunity so for me not someone who in redraft i want to get carried away with i acknowledge the skills and i'm you know willing to see where it goes 
but you know it, it's the Rays, and um, if if you are counting on him as as being an everyday guy, then you know they they might be breaking your heart again. Yeah, I'm with you. Redraft very difficult at this point in time because there are, and we say that because there are people doing redraft leagues right now. Um, so that's that's very very difficult. But in like a draft and hold or a best ball, slightly more intriguing because just for the fact that you know you you get him now as ADP's past 600 at the moment, so he's essentially free on the table. But and you also get the idea: all it takes is one injury. Or all it takes is, you know, like the Randy Rose Randy trade. Now that opens up a whole new right-handed bat to into the lineup. Um, and it, it could get really interesting. Like, like they want to keep Siri in center field because his defense is elite. But, you know, you look at Siri's offensive profile, the power is surprising last year. But as a whole, it stunk. It was, it was not good. So there might be a point where they like they go, hey, we need to, to spice this offense up a little bit. Let's get Johnny out there. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. And I think right now he's a value in the deeper formats like that. Redraft very, very complicated. I agree with you 100%. Let's go to Texas, the defending or current, I should say, World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Some news that came out last week that came out of nowhere, it felt like. We knew Max Scherzer's always had back problems. Well, he had surgery, so he's out till midseason. They did sign Tyler Molle, who should be back midseason as well. We already know DeGrom should be back around midseason as well. Um, what's your thoughts on this, like just from a fantasy perspective? Because at least DeGrom and Scherzer will probably get drafted at some point in your draft. I, again, I don't know if I have the stomach to do that. But how do you look at this situation where Texas is going to have maybe some just guys that just could throw five innings early to hold the spot for these three, but these three will be fantasy relevant. So it's very strange to me. Yeah, real bummer from a reality perspective because I think – I know the Rangers are one of the teams getting affected by the RSN deals going on in Major League Baseball. That's you know curbing some spending – for certain teams this offseason and the rangers are one of them which again is a bummer because i think that coming off the year they had they won the world series they were ready you know to get in the shohei otani sweepstakes to to maybe go sign josh Hader to a huge deal to bring back jordan montgomery whatever it was and it feels like they're having a little bit more timid of an offseason so far and it definitely doesn't help now that you know they can't rely on scherzer at the start of the season so Man, it's so tough because Scherzer and Verlander, those are I've I've looped uh, lumped them two together for the past few years. You know, Hall of Fame arms who have exceeded expectations in their late 30s. There was a point where you know a lot of us in the fantasy industry ready to kind of get off them, and and they did you know just keep coming back year after year. Um, this kind of just feels like the end about it. I I think that. Um, if the pendulum swings too far the other way where people are like, okay, I'm not even going to think about Scherzer completely writing him off. Then you got IL spots, especially. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, you know, to add him. you know, I sometimes in the dynasty dynasty league, like going after these older guys who, you know, people just want to like completely move on sort of thing. And it wouldn't surprise me in the second half of the year, Max Scherzer isn't Max Scherzer, but, but he's still a, a contributor to your fantasy staff. So it really depends on the price, whereas if everyone looks at this and now says, okay, we're out, then I want to be in. But if people are pricing him like, oh, this is going to be a top 15 to 20 arm that I'm getting back at midseason, then I'm not too interested in that, especially if you play on the end in a certain NFBC league where, where you don't have that IL slot. Yeah, that's the big thing. The IL slot's tremendous. Right now, there has not been a draft completed with ADP since the Scherzer news because his ADP is still about the same throughout the last month, so I can't really give an idea there. But, like, DeGrom's around 460. Um, I don't know if I can even stomach that 
Like it's mm-hmm. just a, a weird dynamic with his pitchers. And I'm with you on Texas. It's like a team that is ready to bounce and they just can't do anything, which is a shame. A team that did do something kind of the Detroit Tigers, they went and signed Jack Flaherty. Uh, Flaherty came up 144 innings last year, played for a couple teams, had some good moments, had some not good moments. It was, it was a, the, 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 Thing I'll say the most, I guess it was good because he threw innings last year. If you look back in his previous seasons, those weren't there. So maybe that's a plus. Now he can work on more things. I don't know. What's your thoughts on Jack Flaherty? Because it wasn't too long ago he was the next big thing, but it has fallen off tremendously. He's almost like a more extreme version of Glass now, where you know people yeah, are so sure. concerned about the Glass now injury risk. And and then here's Flaherty, who when he's in a short stint or when he is rolling. It's all there and you can see it and people want to get excited, but then either he breaks and he has to purposely reduce the velocity. Um, I know we might talk about it in a little bit, but he's kind of a good person to think through the lens of, of starting pitchers as balloons, which is uh, a piece that I wrote um, recently, just to the point where Flaherty, it seems like every time he gets built up or increases that velo, you know, we get more excited. The baseball world gets more excited, but then he pops, but then he breaks. I think immediately after the trade to the Orioles, his velo ticked up and, you know, everyone did get excited. Then he instantly got hurt again. So um, that makes it tough. I think just reading some of his quotes throughout the year, I think he was trying to find that sweet spot of where he should sit velocity wise. I also think that landing in Detroit makes him, you know, interesting from a streaming perspective, or or maybe we do take that gamble on him to start the year and see what happens. He's going to, be on a waiver wire call of at some oh, point yeah. this season because he'll have some good starts against some bad teams, especially. And again, that that ballpark makes a huge difference. Whereas if he had ended up, you know, elsewhere, then I think we're singing a totally different tune. But 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 again, yeah, I, I just come back to that risk reward of 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 innings versus um, you know, per inning upside, I guess if you want to call it. Yeah, ADP of 410 makes it quite intriguing. I'll say that much just to get those innings. But uh, what innings are they going to be? And that's the million-dollar question because he did have moments last year. He was in a lot of waiver wire columns last year too. And mm-hmm. uh, I agree, he'll be there this year as well. Two-step weeks on and the such. There'll be like a Guardians and Royals week or something for Detroit where you're just like, yep, I want to start him and mm-hmm. he'll get destroyed or something. Um, a couple other ones here. Speaking of the Royals, they've been active. Like I kind of jokingly tweeted about it, but I, if I'm a Royals fan and I know they're not going to like get the big names, I'm pretty pumped on what they're doing. Honestly, like they're putting at least a competitive team on the field. Uh, not be flashy. They signed Michael Walker coming off a nice season. They went inside Hunter Renfro and then immediately traded Edward Olivares. So they're 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 moving pieces around here. Do any of these moves stand out to you for fantasy? Because we made fun of Walker a lot last year. Not we as me and you, but just the industry. And um, in the end, if you look at that stat line, it was very serviceable. Like he'd go five innings pretty much every day and not 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 hurt you. So what's your thoughts on this Royals action? It's so funny the timing of moves in the offseason, how that can affect how you know fans think about what you're doing. Like the Cardinals early in the offseason, they signed Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. Everyone's like, Oh, but you need a frontline starter. This is a joke. <laughs> and, and then they do go get Sonny Gray. And if it had just been reversed, the perception would have been different entirely. And for the Royals, they're signing all these guys in batches. So, you know, the, the fans' perspective is, oh wow, like look at the Royals. The Red Sox aren't doing anything. Why aren't we the Royals? Yeah. Um, so I just get a kick out of that. I think the most interesting one is Seth Lugo, and he's someone who I wonder if we see this in the NFL a lot, 
um, where if you come in as a seventh round pick, it just takes forever to get rid of that stigma. Uh, you have to fight for more playing time. And even then when you do produce, you're not guaranteed a spot. We don't see that as much in baseball, but with Lugo, with him being this, you know, he's, he was a reliever forever then a starter slash reliever. I wonder if he had had just even a couple more years of starting, if there would have been more, um, competition for his services because because that deal he got you know it wasn't crazy it was three years 45 million i think he impressed last year now he was in san diego but i think one one other thing with him is he he's got good breaking balls and, and those tend to age well you know this is a pitcher who i even though he has the relieving history the fact that he doesn't go max effort and the fact that he can mix in multiple breaking balls i do kind of trust him as that balloon type theory where i think we could look back, you know, at three years after this deal and be like, wow, look at all those, you know, decent innings that Seth Lugo pulled up. The the one pushback I would I would have on all these guys is to just think about wins. Yeah. And specifically with, with kind of this PR reaction, we're getting to all the Royals moves like, oh, the Royals are going for it. I I still don't, you know, necessarily believe that they are true contenders in that division. And I just don't want to get like too carried away with with kind of the the public perception of them at the moment. That's hundred percent true. That's why I've I've said it for years. I need a sarcasm filter, like a mm-hmm. font on Twitter, because I'm just like I, I guess if I'm a, a fan of the Royals, okay, cool, we're doing something. But um, the Guardians are still pretty good. Let's mm-hmm. just let's just say that much. And the Twins will still be pretty good. Um, there'll there'll be some options there in the Central, but at least the Royals, you never know. They got some young players. Maybe Bobby Witt shows up and keeps doing his thing, and a few other moves. But love the Seth Lugo take. Because that was one I, I tweeted out. I'm like, how could the Giants not do three for 45? Mm-hmm. Like, and I guess this is the fantasy brain in us because we watch all these guys play too close. And on the front office should be as well. I'm not saying they're not. But like what Lugo was doing last year, it stood out like a sore thumb. It was just awesome. He was putting the innings, getting the strikeouts. And every time I think he'd be on an innings limit, he just kept doing it and doing it. And maybe that's the concern is the innings because he really hasn't done that throughout his whole career. But the age thing, like you mentioned, if he wants to be a starter, then he's throwing innings. He's at like what is it, like thirty four or something. Mm-hmm. He's getting towards the back end of his uh of his uh his age and his talent level of throwing to be an ace or a top line pitcher, I should say. So yeah, I like that one a lot. I think that's a heck of a deal that works for both him and the Royals as a whole. Um, last bit of news we'll talk about here is Lourdes Guriel Jr. Uh, this is one that made too much sense to me. This is one. Uh, like at the beginning of the season, I said, why they're going to bring Lourdes back to Arizona. It makes too much sense because there's rumors of giants and this and that. I'm like, no, he's going to go to Arizona. He fits there. They like him there. It's very simple. Like at the world series game, there were so many montages of Lourdes Gurriel. It's like, he is the Arizona diamondbacks. So what's your, your thoughts on him going back to the desert? The diamondbacks are now they just masterclass in kind of the, the PR uh, of how to handle the off scene. Cause they, they have this great one. They go to the world series. They, they trade for Eugenio Suarez. They, they sign Eduardo Rodriguez. Now they bring back Lourdes. They're still talking about maybe bringing back or bringing back technically JD Martinez um, as well. So, so I think there's, you know, a lot of positive energy going towards that ball club right now, but, but I do agree with you where Lourdes, he, he seemed to, you know, have uh, you know, a natural fit in, Arizona and that lineup 
for as great as a run as they went on in the playoffs, they had Gabriel Moreno hitting third. Yep. And there was the famous, you know, he had that sack bun at one point in the, uh, in the playoff. first game in the first inning. Of yeah. game six. <laughs> like, what are we, our five? What are we doing here? I know. And I, I really like Gabriel Moreno, especially yeah. as a player, even fantasy aside, because he's so good defensively, but, but he just, he shouldn't be your three hitter necessarily. No. And, and so I do think, you know, I would love if they also brought in JD Martinez as well. It seems like there's, you know, a real focus on trying to build that team up. Uh, to go on another run this upcoming season. So um, kind of a little bit plug and play. I don't, you know, have any, sometimes, you know, the best take is to not try to, don't you know, force it. a take or find <laughs> something that might not be there. But, you know, Lourdes, he, he's, you know, super solid. He's been pretty projectable over the years. Yep, no need to skip Bayless I need every time. It's okay. <laughs> um, but let's talk about something you've been hinting at uh, throughout some of these pitchers. And I think it's a it was a really cool read because um, it kind of opened your eyes to things that maybe some have like hinted at but hasn't put it all together. And you wrote an article about starting pitchers as like our balloons. And can you like elaborate on that one? Because this is on his Substack, folks. It's free. You can go check it out. And it was it was very eye opening to something that made way too much sense in the end to me. For sure. So I love doing individual player analysis always. Like that. That's such a fun part of analyzing baseball. But but I also like trying to just take a step back and, and think about things a little differently, especially from a macro sense. Um, so one of my favorite fantasy football writers, actually Jacob Sanderson wrote a piece this summer called running backs are balloons. And the idea was that these, especially these rookie running backs, we, we don't know how good they are until we give them as much of a workload as they can handle. And at that point they either pop because they get hurt. They might be a smaller speed back or the efficiency declines. Um, or they they do great with the increased workload and then they become a superstar. And if you can, you know, kind of picture that a running back at that balloon inflating a little bit. I read this piece and I was like, this is how I think about starting pitchers. <laughs> and I messaged Jacob and I asked him if I could use the analogy for baseball. And he, you know, graciously said yes. And then I'm writing this piece and I'm thinking, you know, no one else is gonna understand like stand this. Like this is just in my head, but the feedback I got was really cool. Um, so I'm glad I did it. And the idea is kind of that starting pitchers are balloons in the sense of they need to build up a workload. And the ones that, you know, shift fantasy leagues are the ones who are fully inflated and give you quality innings. So you think of like Zach Wheeler at this point. He, as I, I would describe him as a fully inflated balloon. It's funny because he had those injury issues back in the yeah. day. But, and it took him years to reach this point. Right. And, and that's yeah. kind of the thing. Whereas, I, in the piece, talked about how I was so into Hunter Green last year because I, I was just getting seduced by the K-to-walk skills, especially as he ended 2022. And what I wasn't factoring in enough was, okay, how many innings am I getting? Has he shown durability? I think there, there's a lot of you know excitement for guys like Tariq Skubal, Cole Reagans, you know, Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, and... Those guys can hit, but they, they just haven't shown that durability. So they're not as projectable as a balloon. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm finding myself, you know, just like rambling a little bit here, trying trying to like get that point across in, in, in different ways. And I'm not to say it's not to say that, you know, guys like Scooble Reagans that don't take them. It's just we need to always be weighing, yeah. um, you know, having those stir, sturdy horse pitchers versus that that per inning filth uh, especially as we construct a fantasy staff 
Yeah, and it was just great because it was a combination of, you know, age is very valuable in this sense. We kind of overlook. We just think the young toys, kind of like you mentioned with the Reagans, the Scoobles of the world and everything. Uh, it's also a combination of like, hey, they've done it before. Like, mm-hmm. you got to prove you can do it. It's not strictly an injury thing. Obviously, injuries factor into this. But it was just a, a couple of things that just kind of make you think. Because, like, I, I, I like pieces like that because I've talked about Rob Silvers forever and in the new FTN fantasy thing. He, he kind of, like, revamps it. But a couple of F passes ago, he literally gave a, a, a whole presentation, an hour presentation, on literally just drafting pitchers on winning teams. That was the mm-hmm. basics of it in the end. But he broke it all down. And in the end, you walk away going, that makes too much sense. Why have I not thought about it? But he, he interweaves it all to you. So that's why I liked your article a lot because I'm sitting there reading it and it's talking about and the balloon makes a ton of sense because, you know, you can either have a partially inflated balloon, like three quarters full. If you get it too full, it's going to pop, like overuse the arm. It's going to you're going to get hurt like a glass now, maybe or something like there's all these 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 references to it that make a ton of sense. There's a reason why veteran pitchers that can consistently give you 160, 170, 18, whatever that consistency goes a long ways in the the whole process. And their, their balloon might be different than Wheeler's, but it's still an inflated balloon. And that's kind of the thing is finding that level. At least that's the way I took it uh, to, to, are they, are they, is this who they are or is there mm-hmm. more to it or are we overdoing it? Those kind of scenarios. And I, I thought it was very interesting. So I wanted to bring it up on the show because I want people to go read it and check it out. Cause he all, cause Brendan also like has names in there, like players and stuff to look at. He's got evident like charts that prove, Hey, these players, because, the age thing is what stood out the most to me. Like I was, it was just very glaring. I was just going to say there, there's, you know, a few takeaways from it, but, but one of the things was to me, like so often we think, Oh, this pitcher's getting older. Like mm-hmm. they, they might be more susceptible to injury or, you know, the arm might pop eventually. Whereas the more I think about, you know, arm injuries and, and I'm not definitely like, far from an expert, in everything, just like a, uh, a baseball fan who's uh been obsessed with, you know, you, <laughs> this stuff <laughs> for too much time. But the more I think about it, like, Eight, like if you have a 32 year old 33 year old who has shown that they can do 180 innings year after year if they're they're not overthrowing then you know that that's the type of pitcher that i want to trust like age is actually a good thing in that sense like um luis castillo is another who he's just a horse right now when you think of luis castillo you can pencil in those innings you can pencil in the good ratios the strikeouts all that again glass now is someone who who isn't that even though he's a little bit older, he's getting up there 29, 30. Obviously, DeGrom is someone who, who's also older, but he throws, you know, so hard that it, it makes it tough to to repeat that, you know, delivery of that effort, you know, pitch after pitch, inning after inning, year after year. Whereas when you're just kind of snapping off breaking balls and not throwing at your max velocity, I think it becomes easier. So, so yeah, one takeaway from, you know, the, the whole idea is that, you know, age with, with starting pitches isn't necessarily a bad thing on its own. If they've shown that durability year over year, I think, you know, Verlander and Scherzer are outliers for how late they were able to do it in their careers. But, but that's something that they showed me, you know, in that 2019, 2020, 2021, 2021 range, um, that, that I, I just don't want to, um, you know, miss that again. Yeah. And obviously like you said, some of these guys are overachieving in the age thing, but, uh, there's definitely a window. That's why I kind of make the joke with Michael Walker. He's getting old, but it's the consistency factor. If you're, if you don't want something flashy, he's going to give you like 150 yeah. innings and he's not going to crush you. And he, at his ADP, it's pretty pretty wild. Uh, there's One, a guy I'll, I'll mention later too that I like a lot for the same reason. 
for sure. One just sorry, one more uh just a comparison, a way to think about this that, that might help people is and I'm not even positive the ADPs, but but just off the top of my head, like a Bobby Miller versus a Logan Webb this year. Whereas Bobby Miller is, you know, and I love I wrote also an article on Bobby Miller about how much I love him and you know how he has all these advanced stats that that really point to him being, you know, possibly a special breakout pick. Um, but you just got to think about how much needs to go right for him. We need to be right about the talent and then he needs to stay healthy. The Dodgers got to give him the opportunity to go deep into games, all this sort of things. And if you're right, you know, that's going to be a huge hit. It could be like Shane McClanahan from 2022. And then you look at Logan Webb and he just rattled off 200 plus innings of, of good ERA. And, you know, he's going to go deep into games. So he's got to get his wins. Whereas, uh, I think the market is, de-emphasizing some of those a little bit more boring but but fully inflated balloons and that that's where i want to be attacking if in you know my particular draft that that's what's occurring yep i love it so everyone go check out brandon's Substack in general but that was a fun one it was uh kind of in no, early november i think give or take and maybe mid-november it, it, it was a good one so go check that one out another question i want to ask you because you've been tweeting about it and i've been very in because again i talk about it a lot not a prospect guy but i gotta learn them now because they're always around drew thorpe this is one like i had uh, the the tool shed guys on recently clegg and cross and they brought up thorpe with the yankee system that he could come up this year have an impact all these things not too long later he's obviously he's traded to new york i mean to pop to san diego in the ron soto deal and then you started tweeting some things out that really got my attention because i hadn't dug in on them a ton so what's your thoughts on Drew Thorpe for 2024? Because you seem like you might be kind of interested. I'm in in the sense <laughs> that he is, again, this is uh, tying a little bit back into the balloons thing. It affects prospects too because, you know, someone like Daniel Espino who's had all these injuries, he was he was a top prospect, pitching prospect with the Guardians, but he's pitched like 20 innings in the last three years. For that balloon to inflate to where he becomes a Luis Castillo, that's going to take half a decade. You know what I mean? Yep. But – Someone like Bryce Miller, Brandon Fott, these guys had had big innings totals in the minors entering last year, and that's why we saw their teams be willing to to use them deep in the games and as part of a normal rotation. And Drew Thorpe is someone I've kind of identified as this year's version of that. Where um, I got to double check this out. I don't, I don't know if he led among like top prospects. I'm pretty sure like he led in. Um, innings. I think he let in strikeouts. I, I should have had that stat ready to go. But but the point is, like, he pitched a lot of innings in the minors last season to the point where if you look at the Padres, the starting pitches they have on their roster right now, he had more innings than you Darvish. He had more innings than Joe Musgrove. And obviously, you know, he doesn't have the track record of those guys. But he's got more innings than Michael King. He's got more innings than Robbie Snell. He's got more innings than, than all these guys the Padres have. I'm looking at the Padres and saying, I think that guy is going to be around in their rotation, not so much as, oh, this is some 20-year-old kid who, you know, throws hard, but, but we can't trust him for for a full workload. I'm looking at him as, hey, this guy might be a glue guy for our rotation, pitching at um, what we know is a really good ballpark for for pitchers. Yep, basically 140 innings between high A and double A last year is tremendous. Uh, that's the kind of stuff, like, I'm with you is – the reason I loved so, some of the Guardians guys last year, they had 140 innings the previous season in the minors. Like, you give me guys that already have the workload, so I don't have to be concerned about shutdowns or this, that, or the other. I'm way more invested in those pitchers. Like, that's why Mason Miller was always like, I just don't want nothing to do with it because I'm mm-hmm. curious. Now in the bullpen, big fan. Big fan of that move. That can be fun. 
but there's there's a there's a slew of those. Like even doing early rankings, I see them. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like Brian Wu, I like a lot. Still, the innings have been a massive concern. You mentioned his, his teammate Bryce Wilson. Big difference. Like there's there's situations there, and you could do the obviously player by player. So that's why I saw you tweeting the, the Drew Thorpe stuff, and that got my attention because even Michael King, who we all loved, if you really want to break down his innings, not great. Not mm. great from a uh, from a where he's getting drafted starting pitching guy could be awesome. Maybe he's older. They just let him go. Cool, but then that's three pitchers like you mentioned, Darvish, who's always hurt now. But like his bloom popped in theory. Uh, Musgrove, King, but Thorpe easily fits in there. You'd expect them to do something else, but they're cutting money everywhere. So maybe Thorpe is the answer, and mm. he's going free in drafts. So I think it's a great call. He's not someone who who overextends himself. The Guardians guys you mentioned are a perfect example. Like Tanner Bybee, he was never some flamethrower who his arm's going to hurt after every pitch he throws. Um, Drew Thorpe falls, falls more in, in that camp. I think the the prospect to compare him to in this sense is, is Ricky Tiedemann wow. of the Blue Jays, who yep. just has a hellacious delivery. And when he does get up, he's going to break all the stuff plus models, and he could have a 10-strikeout game, his, his first appearance, and everyone's going to get really excited but he just doesn't have that durability track record like Thorpe does. And to me, that's not to say Thorpe is, is guaranteed to be great or anything, but but I do think he's undervalued. I think his ADP was like 500 when I yeah, tweeted it some, out. He's an afterthought. Crazy. Yeah, let me see where he's at now. It's, uh, yeah, 460.68 over the oh, last he's moved up. He's moved month. up a little. Yeah, he's got as high as 362, but as low as 543 over the last month. So he's getting a little bit of hype as things go. But you mentioned Tiedemann. I want to I pull this because I looked at it the other day. He's going at 331. He's going yeah. like 140 picks almost, 150 picks ahead of Thorpe, and uh, it shouldn't be that wide. I 100% agree. Like I, I've passed on him every draft. I see his name. Like he's gonna, He might break in the first start for all mm-hmm. I know. It's bad right now. So, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Remember, go check out uh, Brennan's uh, Substack, Patreon, all that good stuff. That's just a, a piece of what he brings to the table there. But what else he brings to the table – is he is uh, one of the main men behind uh, Underdog Fantasy, the MLB product, for sure. So I've had him on before. He's been on many shows. He gave a great presentation on FPAS. I think everybody knows what Underdog is, but if you have like a Cliff Notes version to get people in that might not have listened before, what do we have going on at Underdog Fantasy for MLB? Yeah, so Underdog's got a lot, but I think that we're most known for, for best ball, especially on the NFL side. And... My, I, you know, I'm a baseball guy first and foremost. And when I look around the the baseball landscape, I I ask myself, why won't someone draft, you know, 200? Why won't you do 200 drafts this offseason? 300 drafts, like that's a really big number. But but there but there are people who love baseball and fantasy baseball, and the reason is because that would be an insane amount of roster management and lineup management and yep. setting fob on Sundays. And I think most people already feel like they do that enough. Whereas uh, best ball is a format that underdog specializes in. We, we don't even have, you know, season long managed or anything like that. It's just best ball and you can do a bunch of drafts. The way that our contests work is they're tournament based and it's a low entry fee. It's, it's typically five or $10 for baseball. But last year, our $10 entry, which is our flagship tournament, which is called the Dinger, it had a first place first place prize of 100000 So here you can do this 30-minute best ball draft, put in $10, and you can have a chance at winning 100000 and I, with no in-season management whatsoever. So so I think that's kind of the, the main thesis behind um, you know, why people might be interested in it. There's all these 
you know, layers beyond that, that I don't want to get too overly into, but you can, you know, enter these contests multiple times. Um, there's, there's some macro strategy that goes involved with how to construct these teams. And then there's, there's always going to be the individual player assessment as well that we all love doing. So, um, to me, it's not something that replaces, you know, your season long managed league. It's definitely, I've been, you know, very outspoken about that. That that's, that's not what this is. This is something where we're all already doing the work for our fantasy season long leagues. And this is something that you can add on to that. That is not that sharp right now. It's very beatable. I don't think the smartest baseball minds are necessarily playing this format. So um, I think it's something that should appeal to, to a lot more people. Yeah. It's a uh, more, and this is nothing against DFS people. Cause I do DFS. It's more DFS people than season long people that kind of get into underdog. It feels like for the most part could be totally wrong there, but at least from the football standpoint, I think that filters into baseball. You see a lot of that, but there is a lot of season long happening too. We've seen some, some great people do that. What's fun about it. It's a little different than our normal, like rotos and other things is it's the point system. We, you can check the website for that. The format, you draft 20 players, you infield, outfield, util, pitching, Go to the website for all that fun stuff. We've we've broken that down deep before. So you, you guys mm-hmm. can go or go listen to the previous episode when I had Brendan on. Go check all that good stuff out. Cause I want to pick his brain on some things. Like he at first pitch Arizona, Brendan brought some really cool charts to the table that him and some of the other guys are working on to kind of maybe see if there's trends. Is there like a roster construction trend? Is there just different strategies like schedules, this, all that stuff? So what are you seeing? Like, did you have any takeaways when you're looking back at the 2023 data? I know it's probably not all wrapped up yet, but is there any takeaways you're seeing so far that you might go, hmm, maybe I'm going to start trying that in 2024? Yeah, so uh, I first want to give a shout out to, you mentioned before, but he's on Twitter at baseball. It's at B3isball. His name is Chris. He He's really sharp with, with the macro angle of all this. And then I want to give a shout out to Matt as well, who's on Twitter. It's at it's like dark sheep, but it's with a four. Oh, These the guys, they got... <laughs> yeah, I know his first name. Okay, I know dark sheep. Okay, okay, good. yeah. No. Um, Chris and, and and dark sheep or baseball dark sheep, however we want to call them. Um, we're doing a lot of the stuff at the stacking dingers substack. Um, trying to combine, you know, that individual player analysis with with the macro trend of of how to approach these things because the underdog best ball game it's not if you just if you love season long roto with the stolen bases and the batting average and, and setting your lineups and, and that's just what you love then and the underdog might not be for you and that's totally okay like it's a different game that's what i want to try to stress across because it's point space it's just pitcher infield outfield and with this new game we've only had the contest a couple years and we're still learning so much more about how to approach it so i think the very first thing that you notice when you join the draft is that outfield is just so shallow. Like it's funny because I see, you know, a lot of people who do like NFBC content or more like that Roto with 15 teams, five outfielders and everyone's saying outfield shallow in that, which makes me realize when you combine all the infield positions together and you just have that pitcher infield outfield, like it's, it can't be overstated how, you know, scarce outfield gets. And to me, the question of this off season so far for people who are really engaged with underdog MLB has been, how do we solve that outfield problem? Yeah, it's, it's a great one. And and what's fun about doing these drafts. And again, if you do a bunch of them, like you mentioned earlier, you can try different strategies. And I know like uh, I, I've, I've been in some drafts that are very interesting. And all I know is if you wait for outfielders, it gets blurry and that was a trend going into last season too it seems worse this year kind of like you were talking about 
um, it's just there's such an elite tier, and then it just drops off to platoons. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. And then in underdog, you want to accumulate points. So at bats are king, like beyond king, and that, that's very very um, huge. So like you wrote an article, or you're a part of an article on um, a Substack. How do you approach this outfield problem? So. <laughs> yeah, so this is on Stacking Dingers, which is another Substack that I contribute along with Chris Matt and then a few other guys who are called the Badge Bros who do a lot of underdog streaming, baseball, football, basketball, all of it. Um I think what you describe what happened last year cuz we were aware of this. Like last year was the first year that people really started getting into okay, how do we attack this underdog game from less of a standpoint of this player is good, this player is bad, but more, you know, trying to come at it from from a, you know, a a full draft approach. And what happened was everyone realized, okay, you need to get one of these stud outfielders in round one, even if that means, okay, like maybe you think for Roto, Freddie Freeman's a better pick than Kyle Tucker on underdog. It's not even a question. You have to take Kyle Tucker because you need to lock down that outfield spot because there's going to be so many infielders available later on. And to me, the takeaway was, okay, so get your first round outfielder and, and then kind of go from there. I don't think that was pushing it far enough. I think that in this format, especially, especially what we're seeing this year, you like I've I've been playing around with a few builds so far this offseason that have like four outfielders through six rounds, sort of thing. And I just don't want to be in the position where I'm reaching on Jaron Duran or I'm I'm reaching on, on some of these other guys. Um and I, I, yeah, I think again, without getting like two in the weeds, cause, cause I know not everyone might've, might've fired up these drafts before yet, but my, my advice would be that especially in the early rounds, you, you might want to take a tiny bit lesser of a player just to secure that outfield spot. It's a great way to put it. Cause that's the thing is you, I think people get so caught up when they see, okay, here's the ADP. Here's the next best available players. They see that and they see the names. It's like, well, yeah, these are really good infielders. Like, yeah. they're really, really good. And here's some ace pitchers. And that's another conversation we've, we had last year. And I could see going outfield pitching early and just staying screw infield till the end. But um, there is that point where you, you look at these out- outfielders and, like you said, they might not be the best, like flashiest of names compared to what else is on the board. But if you go farther down the board, it's still pretty flashy. So uh, I'd recommend it. What I would recommend doing is take, especially if you're someone who's comfortable with projections, uh, because that's something that people on underdog are not necessarily doing. Like a lot of people playing this game right now, they, they might just be underdog users that play NBA NFL and they don't have the, the baseball knowledge. And it's, I find it really interesting because there's, there's people playing right now who have the macro down, who, who understand the outfield thing, but they aren't baseball people. And then I'm starting to see, you know, more baseball people come over from the Roto game who, who have a better grip on the player analysis and how to use projections and all that, but they're, but they're learning the macro of, of how to attack underdog. And um, I think what we're trying to do at stacking dingers is, is kind of help, you know, middle that and get everyone on the same page about it to, to make the game more efficient because you mentioned ADP. And one thing I would suggest is if you, you are comfortable knowing what you're doing in these drafts, do not worry about ADP because it is not efficient and I would have no problem reaching, you know, several rounds in certain guys. Now you got to factor in, okay, I might still be able to get him a couple rounds later, but whereas, you know, I w- it was described as NFL this past off season that it's the most efficient ADP fantasy football has ever seen on underdog. That is, you know, just miles uh, <laughs> away from the truth of, of the baseball game right now. Yeah, it does feel like the NFL 
players are much more in tune with it, as, as you're saying. Like they have mm-hmm. the much more like a, a stacking strategy and all those kind of things. Where baseball, you can do the stacking. We've seen it. Like I know you tweeted one out the other day you, you were doing, and uh, like I've tried to, but then I start getting diverted into other factors. But you can do that. That also makes things difficult if you're trying to force a stack and other aspects. So learn the pool much better. But I'm with you on on the ADP thing. Just go get your dudes because it gets murky real quick. But there also are some diamonds in the rough, maybe. Probably not diamonds, but there's gems out there somewhere in in the ADP world. And it it was this way last year. A couple of these things were picks I was taking late last year, and they're still down there this year. So let's talk about a couple like post-ADP 150. We both did post-200. When we're doing these drafts, folks, there's 240 players picked. So there's a lot of probably guys you'll look at later on going, wow, how did he not get drafted? And that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, so let's talk about it. We each did three guys. We'll go back and forth here. Who are some of the later draft picks that you're kind of focused on? So the number one guy I put on this list, and I haven't fully shared this publicly yet. Um, but Breaking I, news on Vince with Bubba, folks. <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> but but I, I do think this, he could see, you know, a dramatic, like we're going to look back at this in March and just be like, oh my God, the ADP. But it's Junior Caminero. So one thing about Underdog uh, is right now we, we pushed to get this contest out as early as we could. What it meant is we had to sacrifice. If someone wasn't on the 40-man roster, there's all these things. Like, we couldn't. So some of the prospects are missing. Like Jackson Churio, uh, Jackson Holiday, those guys aren't in the system yet. They will the, be eventually. The Asian players aren't there yet. Yeah, there's no Yamamoto. There's no Jung-Hoo Lee. But those guys will come eventually. But we wanted to just get this contest out. Um, just have it out. Question, the co- question for you. For sure. Will, will they come out in the contest that's already out, or is it future? No, content? no, no, no. It'll okay, be I'm just totally checking. I was just making sure. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. that would, like, cool. affect um, – uh, you know, the competing against the similar okay, teams cool. and all that sort of stuff. Um, sure. But so some of these prospects that did come up late last year, you know, Jordan Lawler's in there. Pete Armstrong's in there. Evan Carter's in there. Evan Carter's got a really aggressive ADP. Yes. But Junior Caminero, for some reason, doesn't. My theory is that because a lot of people draft right now are more underdog users. They just got paid out for their uh, NFL regular season prizes. They, they just might not be as familiar with who this guy is. So He's risen just the tiniest bit, even in the past like week or so. But he's like two thirty right now. Um, I just took him. It's a twenty round draft. I just took him in the seventeenth round, um, and and that felt like quote unquote reaching. But man, I I just think he's someone who we could look at March and if he sees this Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe type bump that we saw from those guys during spring training, like there there could be a lot of optimism around him. Yeah, I'm with you. He's a guy that I struggle with in other draft formats as well right now. Cause I'm like, I love the talent. I'm curious what the playing time will be, but the talent is darn legit. Cause he's already so pricey I, at, at those spots. Exactly. That's why I kind of like, yeah, I don't know. But in this format, yes. Cause he on paper should be the everyday third baseman in Tampa Bay. Unless something crazy happens. They do have Yandy. They do have Paredes, but I, this is the future. Like, let's go guys. So I, I'm with you. That could be a fun one for sure. Mine is one that uh, I just think he doesn't get respect for how good of a season he had, and that's Jake Berger of the Miami Marlins now. The power was off the chart. He actually hit for average last year. Um, if you look at just, you know, it's a point system, so it's a little different. Still put up plenty of points. Run production could always be an issue in Miami. That's that's always in question. But the power didn't. The power got better in Miami. His plate skills got better in Miami, as shown to me by Scott Chu last week. He actually started to show those improvements before they traded him in Chicago. But he's a young ball player who's been waiting to play every day for a long time. The, the skills are there. He's going to play every day in Miami. Um, and he's just kind of that boring name that I know gets overlooked. So 
I don't see his ADP changing a ton. It might even drop for all I know as draft season goes on. And he's just a guy, if you do kind of punt infield, I just want to throw Jake Berger out there. He might be boring to many, but I wouldn't be shocked if he puts up another big season that post to one of your last picks could be quite valuable. He's one of those toughest guys where it's like he showed us people still don't want to buy in. And that creates, you know, one more season where where there could yep. be, you know, a decent sized profit. Adelis Garcia was somewhere like a few years ago. He had his breakout. People were still like, OK, we're not sure. And if you bought him, you were right. I could see the same thing happening with Berger. Yep, for sure. Uh, I love your next one. So the floor is yours. I'll just sit back and enjoy the rest of this. I mean, I would have mentioned him anyways, but when you come on Bubba, we got to get some catcher talk in. And, and Yiner Diaz, I couldn't quite fit him into I this, almost but... put him down just for fun because <laughs> you put this one down, but I left it off. <laughs> so uh, the thing about the the catchers and underdog is it's it's weak. The, the scoring happens in weekly batches where if a catcher is only going to play three or four times a week, they really need to do damage um, in, in order to crack your lineup in a best ball structure. But William Contreras played like when he's not catching, like he is DH and you look up playing time for catches last year. It was like him and Adley are at the top. And then it's like no one else. Um, but for some, for whatever reason, William Contreras is not being drafted that highly. And he is like the perfect one who I've been, like you said, punting infield a little bit early. And then I need to come back with some values late. Luckily there's a decent number of them, but none of them stand out as much as William Contreras does. Um, one of the things I would recommend people doing if you are comfortable with projections uh, is just take your favorite projection system, enter the underdog scoring points formula and see what it spits out. Because right now uh, the, under, the underdog app has uh, like a little projection number. I would, you know, that's if people are drafting off that, let them use, you know, the sources that you trust more and what you'll see. And then you just match up ADP and the season long projection number and, and that's, a, you know, a, a nice, easy way to, to get some values. And when I use Steamer for that and William Contreras, like he should be going half a dozen rounds higher. Um, he, he's a really nice free square late in drafts right now for infield. I, I don't disagree. So we're just going to go there because he's, yeah, he's William Contreras. And everybody knows that, but it's all about the at-bats, plate appearances, and he does that in bunches. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned Adley. At least you gave Adley his, his props too, but – Everyone still looks at JTR, still looks at Will Smith, and in you know other formats, sure, I get what you're saying. It's not the same in uh, in underdog. They're, they're still a big enough gap in their their at bats to to make it difficult for sure. Uh, my next one, I just had to throw him out there because people he was drafted about the same spot last year and he got hurt, but it still put up a really good season. And and any team I had that advanced last year had Tyro Estrada on it because you could take him with your twentieth round pick. Like I know Ryan Bloomfield the other night took him with his 20th round pick. Like he's sits out there. He's buried in ADPs. He's going to be back leading off for the giant. I don't know if I hit second behind Lee. Now that I think about it still not just fine. Uh, the power speeds there, especially the speed going to play every day. Um, he gets on base a ton. So this is a guy that really flashed last year, got hurt, still finished. Well, if he stays held and it was a freak injury, it wasn't like it was a hamstring or something. He got hit in the hand and the wrist or something like that. So I like, I like Thyro quite a bit. And that, it's a guy that you could definitely punt on and wait and get later. You'll notice listening that all four guys we've named so far have been infielders. And that's because there's so many, you know, infielders that you can talk yourself into. You don't want the outfielders down exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like Max Kepler is fun and all, but let's not do it if we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So my last, uh, I'll mix it up and, and get off the infield train for a bit. And this is where I kind of just go back to ADP not being that efficient. I, I just don't understand why Aaron Savali is going as as late as he is when when you look at where some other, like Mason Miller has a higher ADP than Aaron Savali, yeah, and he's going to be crazy. a closer, um, or at, le- at, le- at least they're highly considering using him in relief sort of thing. Um, I think for me, Aaron Savali, I'm just zooming out a bit, whereas I got on to Zach Eflin, like a month or two into last season, I just really kind of clicked like, oh my God, this is happening. And we should have just realized the Rays targeted someone, they invested in them and they're going to be better. Whereas if you look at, if you want to throw Aaron Savali's 2022 stats in, in my face and say like, you really like this guy that much, I'll, I'll shrug and say, you know what, you're probably right. But um, to me, the, the lesson of Zach Eflin was just pay attention when the Rays, you know, they traded Kyle Manzardo, who is a really big name prospect for a lot of people. Uh, to get this guy and now they have a full off season you know to to work with him and in a spring training and all that sort of stuff I just think you know we, we he could see you know a similar where Zach Offen was one of the the best pitchers in fantasy last year um Savali is one of their only you know durable vet you might not, you can quibble with me on the durable but compared to Shane Boz Taj Bradley those types you know he's going to be locked into the rotation and you know it's just a bet on the Rays and it's a bet on how late he's going on underdog specifically. Yeah, I love the Savali pick. I I saw you put a pitcher, so I'm like, I'll, I'll put a pitcher too. Savali's the best one down there, in my opinion, uh, looking at it. So I think that's a great one. He's another guy similar to Junior Camonero that should jump quite a bit once people maybe get wise to what he's doing down there. So that that's a good one as well. Uh, my pitcher I picked is Alex Cobb. I know I picked two Giants. I'm sorry it wasn't a homer thing. It's just they're undervalued in my opinion. Um, Alex Cobb's a guy I drafted the same thing with Thyro a ton last year in late rounds just because it's 150 innings. Like it's back-to-back years of 28 starts. And he had that hip injury last year he tried to pitch through. And uh, he had surgery on that and because he, he was really good last year outside of that hip injury. Like that, that derailed a couple starts in a big, big way. And he kind of battled back through it. If you just basically take his last like month or two off the season, that was the healthy Cobb, then the hurt Cobb. And, and that's a big difference. And he is getting older, so maybe that's something to be concerned about. There's no doubt. But he, the fact he had surgery, he's rehabbing from it. He's ready to rock and roll. I'll take the chance to get 150-plus innings of Alex Cobb in that ballpark uh, for most of them uh, at ADP 238, again, going towards the end of every draft. So I'll take Alex Cobb for sure. The balloon thing is really important on underdog because it's best ball. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to take this guy. And if he gets hurt or doesn't perform, I'll drop him and pick exactly. up someone else. Um so, so you really don't want to be taking too many risks in that sense. And, and also just the scoring, it comes down to uh, a lot for better or worse. It's, it's, it's a lot of innings wins and quality starts. And, you know, to, to get those stats, you need to be able to go deep into games and do it over the course of a full season. Yep. So that's why I like the old boring late in the, late in the draft. Let's do it. Um, I also like the idea, like we talked about last year, we won't talk about it today, but I did start a draft that I had the turn and I took Cole and Strider out the gate. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see how that plays out, but it still even hurts the outfield missing one right there. So yeah, <laughs> it goes that whole conversation. But uh, one last underdog question I have for you, and, and it's kind of like, what's next this year? You guys continue to expand the product. We continue to have these awesome tournaments, different price levels, different price price pools. Obviously, you guys have your pickums and the other stuff, and that's awesome as well. But right now, we're talking best ball. What's next this year to get more and more people involved in 2024? So I think uh, one thing that you know I'm really proud of is this time last year we didn't have a baseball contest up yet, and now we've already had it up since late November, and um, you know track until about third full, and it's bigger than we did last year, all that sort of stuff. Um, so getting baseball earlier um, was really important to me this season. 
Um, there's going to be more baseball coming as we wrap around to the new year coming up. Um, I think, you know, longer term, you're thinking, you know, a year, two, three years out, um, more baseball contests, different ones. Like this is kind of, we've established as our, our game, it's, you know, the point scoring and it's the pitcher infield outfield and 20 rounds and all that sort of stuff. I don't think that this is going to be the only game that we ever see on underdog fantasy. Um, you know, our, our NFL and NBA products have, have innovated. We we've had other games like pick them, like you said, um, the number one thing that I always want people to understand about underdog is uh, this was a company that was, you know, founded, you know, a lot of the core team at the start was, was developers and engineers and things that I know nothing about, but, but I know that they are the best at what they do. And the whole thesis is just to create games for the American sports consumer. So, um, you know, there's tons of different ways to play it. I've, I've got a lot of ideas I know, but I would say, you know, as we zoom out and, and think more, uh through just you know right now where we are at the end of 2023 you know i'm I'm really excited about the future of that yeah i'm really curious uh to see i know some of the ideas you're talking about and i've heard baseball and the other guys talk about if those ever get it in like we're trying to figure out this format right now so we're mm-hmm. gonna wait for those ones pretty soon they sound very very exciting and i'm looking forward to it um yeah should be a fun 2024 and uh, if people are curious i know you all know who underdog is but i laughed the other day i was doing work in my office i always have a tv on with some programming going on and an underdog commercial came on the air and i'm like what are we doing right like this, this is where we are folks this is where we are which is awesome it's my way of saying awesome for underdog fantasy that they're they're on tv doing doing stuff um but that's wraps up my friend always a pleasure chatting with you uh once again before we head on out uh, plug away everything you do and uh, it, uh it's it's almost christmas time so what do you got going on Busy time of year. I'm on Twitter. It's too much Tuma. Substack is brennantuma.substack.com. Um, yeah, Patreon as well. If, if you're, you know, want to go even deeper on certain things, and and then yeah, just want to give a, another shout out to to Chris and Matt. You know, it's at B3 Isbaugh and it's at Dark Sheep with the four. Um, you'll see me maybe Bubba interacting with them um, as well. If 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 you find their handles that way, um, make sure to follow them because uh, if you're, you know, on track with the right people with this underdog game that that's new and maybe not everyone fully understands the macro of it, then there, there are some big edges to be had and, and there's some money to be won um, is how I'd phrase it that that can help you with next year's holiday shopping. Yes, definitely follow them on Twitter. Cause I, I was telling uh, Brendan before the show that I pretty much anytime they put out a Google sheet, I click on it, save it. Like there's just so much good information there and there's a good chance one, if not two might be coming on the show in January. So you'll get to see them some yeah. more, but um, I, I love what they do. I love the product. It's uh, you know, most of us on this show and other shows, we focus on this season long and this grind and it's more of a, a full baseball situation, but the best ball product's great. And one thing I didn't even add, which I usually always do. The underdog app is amazing. Like I literally will, I, I don't even do anything on my computer that often. I'll, I'll like lay in bed and put something on TV and I'll do a draft at night before I go to bed or something just because it's so easy on the phone. So I really recommend downloading it. Check all the good stuff out. Make, free, make sure you follow Brendan on Twitter at too much Tuma. Thanks for joining me, friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 617. Catch you all next time.